Scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you have made alive all who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where by nature children of wrath just as the other. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the that in the age to that in the age ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindliness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning. I want to start off by saying thanks to, to the elders for allowing me this opportunity to present this lesson this morning. I want to thank Stuart for, I sent him a, a couple songs last night and appreciate him leading those songs for us. And thank you, Brother Bill, for reading that scripture for me. The focus of my lesson this morning is going to be on the, the question why. And we can apply ask that to, to many things, and I'm sure we do each and every day, but the main focus is going to be, why am I a Christian? Why are we Christians? Uh, start off, as many of you know, I, I run a business, and it comes with its own set of hurdles and obstacles, rewards, commitments, and I'm always aiming to learn and grow in each and every day. Recently, I've hired a couple of young men. Um, to help me, and this has been a huge step for me, um, growing from a one-man team to now a team of three. Um, this huge step has come with its own set of lessons to be learned, obstacles to navigate, and its own room to grow and develop as a business owner and a leader. Both of these young men had no experience doing what I do, um, so I basically took them on as apprentices, and with that task... Or with that, I took on the task of training them and teaching them how I do what I do. Over the last few months, I've had to develop standard operating procedures. In other words, basically just a list of how everything's done. I've tried to take everything that I've learned over the course of these last nine years now and list it out from step one to, to that final step. Um, if we're washing a car, step one is as simple as grab your buckets, grab your towels, 
Step two is fill the buckets with water. Step three is put soap in the buckets. It's really straightforward, very simplified. Um, I had to learn how to verbalize this and get it on paper. Um, and like I said, it became so simplified that missing a step was almost impossible. However, with this simplification, I ran into another hurdle. It became so simplified that um, that a bit of arrogance or a bit of cockiness began to creep in and corners began to be cut. Very simple, seemingly negligible steps were being skipped and we started to have issues. It would be something like we're getting ready to lay film on a car and they would forget to do one last wipe before we take the film to the car and there's still contamination on it and it would ruin the panel. We'd have to pull it off and redo it. And it was happening more and more. um, And so I had to start asking myself what was going on. Um, I trained them and instructed them how to do what we were supposed to do. I trained them how to prep the vehicles. And after a couple occurrences, I decided to watch them go through the process from start to finish. And as soon as I did, I could see what was happening. Um, They were seeing small steps that to them, um, now that they've been doing it for four weeks, seemed less important than others. Um, And they were either missing them completely or not taking the the time and giving them the attention of detail that they needed. And as I watched, I realized that I had made a big mistake when I was training them. I taught them what to do, and I showed them how to do it. So what did I miss? What could I have overlooked? And then it hit me. I never taught them why each step was important. I never explained why we do tasks a specific way and in a specific order. I was missing why. And once I realized that, I was able to teach them and the issues began to be resolved. Once they learned why each step was important, they began to give each step more attention and became better at each step of the process. Why is a question that can be posed to anything that we do. For example, we start working out our why in, say, I want to get in, I want to get in shape. Or, sorry, um, for example, we start working out and our why is for that is I want to get in shape. Um, doesn't really have much depth to it. Uh, we don't know how long that's going to last. We have all these New Year's resolutions. I want to do this, and it's always just this very quick result. Um, and it lasts maybe two to three weeks, and after that you kind of fall off um, and you drop it. But say the why is I want to improve my health because I want to be able to spend more time with my loved ones. Um, I want to be healthier so I can spend time with my children, with my grandchildren, whatever it may be, with my significant other. The motivation offers a bit more depth and more than likely will yield more success. It's set up in a more selfless mindset that considers others. And I'm sure parents are pretty familiar with the question why. I'm sure many of you have asked your kids to to clean a room or do a chore and you're met with why. And then you get, or in the case of parents of younger children, you get stuck in this seemingly endless conversation that gets stuck in a loop. You say, we're going to the grocery store, and they ask, why? So in turn, you say, because we need food, and then they say, why? And then you snip back, because we need to eat, and another why comes back. And it goes on and on and on until you end it with a sharp and resounding, because I said so. You just move on, cut it out there. We ask why to a number of tasks and commitments that we make in our day-to-day lives, and we, I, we ask why to things our boss, or in my, in my case, customers, ask us to do. And many times that why is very clear. Um, it, in the case of business, it's 
to, to close a deal or to make a customer happy. Uh, for example, my wife asks me to take out the trash, and I know she's asking me because the trash is full and it needs to be taken out. It's pretty simple and straightforward. She asks me to feed the dogs, and I know it's because they haven't been fed. Again, a fairly simple train of thought. But sometimes it can get a little less simple and have more nuances. You get asked, why do I have to ask you to do it? Didn't you see that trash can is full? Why can't you take it out on your own without me asking? I'm sure a number of husbands here are familiar with the scenario, and we know she's right, so why didn't we do it? In this case, Vanessa might disagree, but I don't think I'm the worst at it. <laughs> it might be like 50-50. Um, I can definitely do better. In, in my case, I'll take out the trash without her asking, but then I forget to put a bag in it. And she, having been expecting me to put a bag in it, dumps some trash in the bagless trash can, and I get hit with a, you forgot the bag. <laughs> it's a silly little scenario, but it helps illustrate how why is important. I could take out the trash because she throws a quick glare at me and asks me to do it. Or I could do it preemptively because I don't want her to get annoyed when she asks me to do it. Or I could do it because she has already done so much for us, and I know that this one little task done right will go a long way in helping her. I can do it because I've been asked to. I could do it because I want to avoid the outcome if I don't do it before she asks. Or I could do it because I want to reciprocate everything that she does for us. Now, I know this has kind of been a more long and drawn-out intro, but here comes the question again. Why are you a Christian? Why do you serve the one true and living God. There can be a number of answers to this question, and we have to audit ourselves and take a true and honest look at our service to God. Now, when you ask this question, I'm sure a lot of us have heard, have been asked this or have heard other people get asked this question, and sometimes it, it gets asked and this argument comes about, what if you spend your entire life being a Christian and there is no God? And the other person responds, well, what if there is? I'd rather be a Christian and have my bases covered. Is our why as shallow as covering our bases? Are we just checking the box and thinking, if God is real, then I'm covered. I'm good. Is that really what motivates us to be a Christian and to serve our God? I'm a Christian because I don't want to go to hell. That can be a legitimate reason Fear is definitely a strong motivator, but is it the best motivator? Are we living in such a way as to avoid hell, or are we living in a way to serve and honor God? We have all heard the example of leading a horse with a carrot as opposed to the whip, or catching more flies with honey than with vinegar. That fear may work for a while, and it could be good. It could be a good starting point, but how much depth does that motivation offer a Christian? I'm a Christian because I want to get to heaven. This is a great reason. God has made, a, made clear to us that heaven is definitely a place we want to be for eternity. As we see in Revelations chapter 21, verse 4, it says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We know Christ says there will be mansions and peace and rejoicing. And most of all, there will be our God. I know every single one of us wants to be in heaven. We all want to be in eternity with God, but are we Christian? Are we a Christian for the reward? Or are we a Christian because God deserves our service to him? I'm a Christian because I want to get a, get to heaven. Again, this is a great reason, but 
How about, I'm a Christian because our God, creator of all things, gave his only son for me so that I could have hope of a home in heaven with him. I'm a Christian because even though I'm undeserving of his love and mercy, he bestows it on me anyway, and because of that, he deserves my service to him. That's why I'm a Christian. Again, we go back to the last. I'm a Christian because I want to get to heaven. That sounds great, and it is. But again, I ask the question, is our motivation the reward? Do we consider that we are undeserving of this reward? Do we consider that even though we are undeserving, our righteous God is so merciful that he has laid up this reward for us? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This reward is a gift of God. It is a reward we have done nothing to deserve. It is through his love and mercy that we have it. God is the only one that can bestow this crown of righteousness on us. I think of Luke chapter 17, verse 10, as it reads, So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Do we take to heart that we are unprofitable servants? We have been commanded by God to do his will and follow in his ways that he has set before us. Do we consider that even if we did everything right and lived perfectly, not that we could, that we would still be undeserving of God's grace? Do we consider that because he loves us so much, he gave up his son on the cross so that we could have hope of a home in heaven with him? Again, the motivation to get to heaven is great. However, as Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul, also in his letter to the Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation for by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here Paul says that we fall short of the glory of God. We're all undeserving and unworthy of God's promise, but because he is rich in mercy and because of his great love, he offers salvation and redemption through his Son. Because of this, we should live as Jesus answers the Pharisees in Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God and our Savior Christ have told us what to do, and they have told us to humble ourselves and live according to God's will. They have told us to submit our lives and service to him because he commands it. And not only that, but because of all that but because of all that God has done for us and continues to do for us every day of our lives, he deserves our true and humble worship. We worship God to our very best and remember that even if we get to heaven with God, we still did not deserve it. 
it's because of God's great mercy that we are able to be there with him. I keep saying we're undeserving, which can come across as a downer to some, but it's true. However, knowing that we're not worthy should serve as more of a reason to humble ourselves and be thankful and grateful to God. Knowing that God ultimately wants us to be saved and join Him in heaven should encourage us to live totally in service to Him. Is our attitude to face God and be able to say, we have done what was our duty to do. Do we live every day and perform every action with the thought that we, sinners, have been given the opportunity to be saved and in turn live to glorify and honor God? Do we live with the attitude that we want to reciprocate everything that God and His Son, our Savior Christ, did for us? We can look to, to the Bible and find many examples in, in God's Word of people who have had many different motivations for being Christians, or in some cases, saying they were Christians. I think of Simon the Sorcerer. He became... It says he became a Christian because he understood and he believed. However, when he saw the power of the Holy Spirit was being given, he wanted that power and he wanted to purchase it with money. While he started off on a foundation of belief, his motivation shifted from believing to wanting power that was being displayed, and he was willing to to purchase it, and he was rebuked for it. We can look at Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a possession... And instead of giving what they could, they said that they gave all and lied to the Holy Spirit. They wanted to be held in a higher standing among their brethren because they gave more than others, or they sold so much and gave all. And we know that they were rebuked for that. Their motivation was purely selfish and greedy. I think of the centurion servant in Matthew 8, verses 8 through 13. This man was in a position of authority and understood that his soldiers, when commanded, would do what he asked without hesitation. And in this scripture, he's asking Christ to come heal his, his servant. And he asks him to, he says, take me to your home and I will heal him. And the centurion simply responds, only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He says, you don't need to come to my home. I'm unworthy and I'm in a position of authority where I know and I have men who I say, go here, and they go. I say, do this, and they will do it. And so I understand, and I, I know the authority that you bear, and I believe that if you say he is healed, then he will be healed. You have no need of coming to my home. He believed the authority that Christ carried and understood what he was capable of. While we don't know if this centurion was a Christian, his example of faith and trust in God and Christ's power, which led him to submit and humble himself before Christ. Our motivation for our service to God has a huge impact on the decisions we make, and it will determine how we choose to serve not only God, but others as well. I was also thinking of the churches that we see in the book of Revelations. We have the loveless church, who, as we know, The scriptures say they forgot their first love. They began strong. They were serving God. They were doing his will. But they forgot that motivation. They forgot why they were Christian and why their church did what they did. We have the compromising church who, again, was doing good works but was allowing 
outside influences to creep in and allowing those influences to grow and as it as their name says they compromised and allowed this to continue they forgot that it was God's church and not their own and again had these outside influences coming in we have the dead church who again similarly started off strong and were, as God describes them, a dead church. They had completely gone away from what God's teaching was and God, what God had commanded them. We have the lukewarm church, who, again, started off strong, but were now straddling their fence. The fence. They, as we see in the scripture, were lukewarm. Um, God says he would rather that they be hot or cold, as opposed to this lukewarmness when... Like when you drink something lukewarm, you'd rather spit it out and vomit it out than, than have it there. Um, he preferred them to, to choose a side as opposed to sitting here on the middle ground and not making a decision, not making a commitment, a full commitment, similar to those who are just trying to cover their bases and live one way and act another. But then we have the faithful church, the church who, again, is living according to God's will and remembering the, the purpose for this church, remembering the purpose for their service, and remembering that it is all to, to serve, honor, and glorify God. It wasn't for their own selfish ambitions, but it was to honor God, love Him, and follow His commandments. So, why am I a Christian? Is it because I'm worried about hell? That's not a bad thing. I think it's a decent place to start. To start. It's a decent motivator that could help new Christians continue to seek and grow in God's word. It's, again, fear. It can be a decent motivator at times, but it'll only get you so far. Is it because I'm worried about being wrong? Is it because I just want to cover my bases and say, well, if God is real, then at least I believed in him while I was alive and I've got my bases covered. I look to Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, where it says, Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and done many wonders in your name? And God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can live in that lukewarm state and think you're okay, but remember, if you straddle that fence or if you're just caught, your reason for being a Christian is to cover your bases, that's the response you'll be met with. Am I a Christian because I want to get to heaven? Again, this is a great reason. It's a great motivator. And God created heaven for us to be there with him. But remember that nothing we do can get us to heaven. It is God's grace and gift to us that will reward us with heaven. So, why am I a Christian? I am a Christian because God loves me, and he sent his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to willingly die on the cross for all of us so that we could have a hope of a home in heaven with him. And knowing this, I want to live in the way that God has commanded me to. I want to live in a way that is according to his will, humbled, and submitting my life in service to him. Not because of the reward of heaven, but because he is worthy of our praise and worship and service to him. Are we careful to not allow entitlement to creep in and begin to assume that because we are Christian, we are guaranteed heaven. As Paul says to Timothy 
In 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all whose love, who have loved his appearing. Paul was confident that he would receive the gift of heaven. He was confident that God would bestow the crown of righteousness upon him. But he also knew that it wasn't anything of his own doing that achieved this crown for him. Paul knew that he lived his life in service to God and lived according to his will, but he also knew that he was still undeserving of the gift of heaven. However, he knew that God is true and faithful, and Paul had faith knowing that God would fulfill the promise given. He knew that his life in in service to God, in evangelizing, in service to his brethren and all the other churches, and his constant effort to live right before God would achieve that promise of that home in heaven. Asking why can bring out a lot of subtleties. It's a simple question, but when it comes to our service to God and our motivation for following his will, it can be crucial to a successful spiritual walk that is steadfast and strongly rooted. I'm a Christian because I want to get to heaven isn't a bad thing, but we need to be careful to remember that it is a gift of God and not of ourselves. If we can remember that, it puts in perspective how much love God has for us and in turn should motivate us to live in service to Him. Not because of the reward, but because He deserves our worship and our love. Our goal should be to live in a manner that reciprocates the mercy and love that God has shown us. We have Christ as a perfect example. Jesus served and lived to bring the lost to God. He showed us how submitting our lives to God can lead to salvation, but but that it can also lead to bringing others to God as well. So, why are you a Christian? Remember Remember what Christ said to the Pharisees again. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Remember, God's purpose is to love God and keep all his commandments. And if we keep that in mind, we can be confident that we'll live a life worthy of God's love and mercy for us. And with that, I'll begin to offer the the invitation. If you're here and you haven't been baptized and made that commitment to God, but you, leave, you believe Jesus Christ is our Savior and want to be immersed in water for remission of sins and to be added to the household of God, then we can help you. If you are here and you have sinned publicly and want to confess your sins and make yourself right before God, we are here to help. We would be overjoyed in being able to help you get back on God's path and help you get back to a healthy spiritual state. If you're here and you have been struggling and need prayers or assistance, You can come forward, and we'll be happy to pray on your behalf and assist you in any way. Whatever your need may be, please come forward as we stand and sing.